this morning. I just want to jump on it again here to remind us it's a great opportunity that all of us have to um, have a lunch together and fellowship and get to know other people. Um, if you're a new family uh, in, in our midst, we'd love to have you come. And um, what we'll do with you, we'll, we'll move you from table to table. That way, everyone... No, I'm just kidding. I'm not serious there, okay? But we would love to get to know you um, at our potluck lunch. Uh, it'll be a, a special time, so please come and join us. Thank you. Continue to pray for uh, Brennan and Stephanie and their family as they travel, too. We wanted to just mention that as they head home from uh, picking up their daughter, Brianna, from His Hill Bible School in Texas. Um, and something that uh, we cannot really forget, we need to spend a moment here in prayer uh, before we get started. We'd like to remember those families in Santa Fe, Texas, um, with the shooting that happened there just days ago. Uh, and so uh, why don't we do that right now? Let's pray together and ask God to lead us and guide us in this time. Thank you, Lord, that at any time you have allowed your children to call upon you. Lord, together we admit it. We, we concur. We don't deserve this privilege. We don't deserve being called children of God. We don't deserve the, the blessings and the benefits that you pour out on us. You are a good, good God. Really, we deserved your condemnation. But thanks be unto God because of Jesus, because of the victory that's there in what Jesus accomplished. And so we want to praise you in this time now. Lord, may we, all of us here, be focused on what you have for us. And may you guide us and lead us and help me in speaking in a way that's effective for your sake and your glory. And Lord, we want to pray for Brennan and Stephanie keep them safe as they travel. And dear Lord, you know of the pain and the anguish that's going on with families in, in that community of Texas. Uh, and Lord, our hearts go out to them and our, uh, right now we lift up prayer to you, oh God. Please take this situation and uh, we ask that in your amazing sovereign way you would turn it for good it just is senseless of what happened. And yet, Lord, we thank you that you are bigger and stronger than any situation that happens in our lives. And please overrule and guide in this situation and bring many people to faith in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Uh, we're going to tackle. It's a big tackle. It's a big grasp here, uh, Acts chapter 8. So just hang in there with me, all right? <laughs> this is going to be uh, um, probably a, a, uh, the survey kind of approach, all right? Um, there's a lot to this passage, and I break it down into two parts, and um, you can follow along with your outline that's in your bulletin there. For those that don't know, um, please track along with it here. This is about God's message, God's gospel ministry, its progress 
and power on display. And here we see it in Acts chapter 8. We've seen it in places before, but here it's, it's really concentrated right now in Acts chapter 8. And so we want to look at this first example of spirit-led gospel outreach. This is important to us. Um, it's not just uh, looking at the Bible and saying, okay, that's a, that's a pretty amazing story. It's how we look at that story and this report and how we take it and put it into life in 2018. And how you, Christian, how me as a Christian, how we react and respond and reply to this passage. And so it's very important that we understand what's going on. We're going to look at this um, at chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 to start with. And, um, it, and it starts with, and Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. Well, last week we looked at Stephen's martyrdom, Stephen dying at the hands of these religious um, authorities from Judaism. Uh, They took up stones and they killed him. And it was much like Jesus in his death. He he lifted up his eyes, he saw Jesus, and he said, Father, forgive them. And uh, had that attitude of forgiveness right away in his death. And so Saul, they laid their clothes and their their robes at at Saul's feet and stoned Stephen to death. And Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. Big score for Judaism here. Let's get rid of this guy. He's he's a he's a real problem. So we did that. Got got that taken care of. But notice the next phrase. And on that day, a great persecution arose against the church. Important to understand that distinction. It's not the apostles now. Now it's the the church. A great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The apostles, being leaders, stayed at home and said, we're going to stay here. We'll take on the, 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 you know, the attack, if you will. We'll take it on. And yet people scattered. And some of the devout men, in verse 2, some of the devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. Let that sink in. But Saul, in verse 3, but Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them or commit them to prison. And therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. So what I want us to understand as we start this, again, this, uh, looking at the whole chapter, chapter 8, there's, there's these points these highlights of gospel ministry. And the first one is it stirs up persecution. Real simple. Stirs up persecution, number one. It's in light of Stephen's tragic death. It's a great persecution. And the, 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 the verse there in, in verse 3, Saul began ravaging the church. In the King James Version, it's interesting. Some of you have King James Bibles. It says he made havoc of them. And the word means to lay waste. 
to go in like an animal and to ravage the, 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 the people, the church. And then going in house after house there in Jerusalem. Going house after house after the people of the church, the Christians. And then dragging them off. Hauling them off. He put them in prison. Now stop and just let this sink in. These are words of Jesus. Listen to this. Or words about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him and apart from Him. Nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness was not able to overcome it. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him. And the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and those who were His own did not receive Him. John chapter 3 says this, This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And then Jesus, right before his crucifixion, was talking to his disciples and he said this, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. And Paul wrote what we, most of us understand is a very familiar phrase in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly will be persecuted. And I would venture to say that the majority of us in here have not been persecuted to the kind that we see here in the Word, in this passage. And that is something that I want you to hold on to, that thought. And it's not to suggest or imply that, hey, hey, today, go out looking. Go, go look for persecution. You know, it's not that. But it's devotion and love to Christ. That's what my problem is. That I love too many things of the world and not Christ enough. That's what your problem is. You love too many things of this world and not love Christ enough. And thus, the problem is, uh, we can fit in to this world scene pretty well. And that's supposed to be convicting to you and me, Christian. And again, not to go stir up the pot unnecessarily out there to say, hey, I was persecuted today. Let me share that with you. No, it's just out of love and devotion for the the one true God, the one true message, the one way of salvation. And it's Jesus. So, Spirit-led gospel outreach brings forth persecution, number one. Number two, it is a display of genuine faith. Verses 4 through 8 take us to this guy called Philip. In verse 4, they had been scattered, went about preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. 
And the multitudes with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and were lame were healed. And there was much rejoicing in that city. Hey, wait a minute. Didn't any of the Jews tell Philip, don't go to Samaria? We got problems with those guys. They're bad dudes. They're apostate. Don't go to them. Oh my goodness. Philip went there. I think that's pretty amazing. He went directly there to Samaria. <laughs> it's here's genuine faith from faithful Philip going forth despite the persecution, despite the opposition of the hated Samaritans. Here's Faithful devotion to the cause of Christ. Here's the priority of preaching or proclaiming the good news that was maintained here in this example. They went about preaching the word. And Philip specifically began proclaiming Christ to them and the crowds were giving him their attention. Okay? And God's gracious blessing resulted. Here's uh, spirits coming out of these people. Here's healings of the paralyzed and the lame. So that was, you know, along with here's genuine faith on Philip's part. Here's the power of God on display also. So it's really both, right? Genuine faith and God's power. It's an amazing work. Only the disciples did this kind of thing when Jesus sent them out. You know, they cast out demons, right? And here's Philip. Philip's not an apostle. He was a deacon. Right? He didn't have that authority of the apostles. So, amazing work on display. It's God's work. Okay? So, that's the second point in that passage. Then third, the gospel ministry attracts phony converts. Phony converts. That's what we see next. Look at verse 9. There was a certain man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. Can you imagine that? Somebody walk around Fallon? There's the great power of God. That's what the people were believing. Because of his, what? Because of his magic. He was wowing them, you know. Verse 11, and they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women like. And even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip As he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Woody, why are you saying about phony converts? It just says that he believed and was baptized. What more do you want? My friend, you can be baptized and say that you believe. And it's not maybe genuine. Do you understand that? You might be sitting here for... 50, 60 years in this church and you still might be like Simon because you did something back in 19 whatever 
you got baptized, you walked down this aisle, and you made profession of faith. Well, let's look at this to understand what's going on here. I believe what we have here um, is a swindler. We've got a swindler here. Um, A huckster. We've got a guy that's double-minded. He's double-minded. He's a two-faced swindler. He's, he's taken advantage, he's taken selfish advantage of the message and the ministry that Philip has, has given. And it's for monetary gain. And my friend, uh, there's, there's a, whole, a whole number of false teachers right here in the United States of America. And we better be on the lookout and we better demonstrate some discernment about that. Because, what, again, it's like we want to we just have everybody join the party of Christianity. Well, I would like that myself. I think that'd be great if everyone would come to believe, truly believe. But what we've got is the problem that not everyone will. And we've got the problem of false teachers that use, they can hold their Bible, they can talk from the Bible, but they're still, we talked about this in in, uh, student Sunday school this morning, they they can just slightly divert you off of the target of the gospel of Jesus Christ and get you thinking about um, this, this ministry or this person or that person. And there's not just, you know, a little handful of them. There's a multitude of them out there and you and I need to be on the alert for false teaching. And on the other hand, don't gloat in the idea that, oh, I've got it all together. Continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. You see the combination there? The grace and the knowledge of Jesus. Second Peter chapter 3. Simon saw, really, Simon saw a new opportunity here. And it wasn't for the gospel's sake. He could continue to wow the people, the public, with his power. But in reading verse 13 again, we're led to believe that, you know, he was converted. We're led to believe that. And we'll pick it up here as we go through this survey and understand what came about. So the gospel ministry can attract phony converts. And number four, the gospel ministry affirms new converts. Affirms new converts. In verse 14, the apostles in Jerusalem were told about this. And they sent Peter and John. As the authority, when you think apostles, you're thinking the authority of God on the earth. It's the authority of God on the earth. At that time, they sent two apostles, Peter and John, to go and check it out. We've heard things about what's going on in Samaria. So the apostles were called upon to give their affirmation of these new converts. And this is a unique situation in that they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And you're going, well, how, how were they converts? Well, they had, you know, it, it seems as though they, here they're interested, they're paying attention. They, 
are directed to put faith in Christ. And now the apostles come and through the laying on of hands, you see that? They, they came down, verse 15, they, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For, verse 16, He, the Holy Spirit, not an it, He, the Holy Spirit, had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So there's the effort to identify themselves in that way. Okay? So, here's, here's what I believe happened, the reason why the apostles showed up. It was for the unity of the church. Remember what we said about the, the Samaritans? They had a, a long history of being adverse to each other. You know, Jews would, we, most of us, we understand this. Jews, to travel north, they would walk around the area of Samaria. They wouldn't go through it. We're not going to, we're separate from them. That's why it was so amazing when Jesus was talking to the, Samaritan, the, the woman at the well from Samaria. It's like the disciples, what are you doing? So here's this effort to show that this is not... Here's a, oh, a separate body of believers up in Samaria and they're doing their own thing. No, they're brought together by the authority of the apostles. Now they're under the submission, under subjection to the authority of the apostles. And they had received the Holy Spirit through that authority of the church to verify that these Samaritans, these new Samaritan converts had truly received the Spirit. Okay. So there's that affirmation, point number four, new converts. Number five, the gospel ministry, the outreach of the gospel is unwavering in letter A, confronting personal sin. Because now Simon pops up and, hey, I got to talk to Peter here. I want to talk to Peter. Um, Verse 18, look at it. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed on, uh, was bestowed through the laying on the, of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Hey, that's, that's what we do. We're, we're mag- magicians. Uh, Peter, aren't you a, ma- a fellow magician? You know, that's the idea. And we, we just kind of trade secrets with some money here. Let's, let's trade some secrets here. I want that, what? He wanted that power. He wanted to wow the public. Okay? And Peter, being gentle, thoughtful Peter. (laughs) But Peter in verse 20, look at verse 20. May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the what? The gift of God. God does not have anything for sale. And we've got a whole world here in the United States that think they can buy something from God and get get glory and get heaven and get whatever. God doesn't have anything for sale in that way. You know, it's interesting here that if you are familiar with Philip's translation of the Bible, Philip's translation of the Bible um, says this. Phillips translates Peter's phrase as this. To hell with your you and your money. That's what it says in Phillips' translation. <laughs> and 
you know, some believe that's actually more accurate of a statement than what we have in our word. Because of the power of Peter's, you know, rebuke. He's calling out the personal sin of Simon. Simon offered to purchase the gift with money. And so, you know, he, Peter says, your heart is not right before God. And see, here's the thing. In our, in our world today, um, I don't know how much that's happening. How important is that to you? No one wants to be called out for personal sin. Hey, quit judging me. Don't you talk that way to her. You shouldn't do that. That's not what Jesus said or did. And again, folks, we just need to understand what the Bible is saying about personal sin. You know, when we take communion, it's calling you to, to confess it and forsake it. I didn't say perfection. Some of you might be thinking, well, and who's perfect? I'm not. You're not. We need grace. We need Jesus. Okay? And so we, we've got to be more open to the issue of someone calling us out on our sin. Is that bad? We think, oh, I don't like that. Well, no. It's something that if we're honest with the text and other passages, we ought to be open to it and say, thank you for that rebuke. Okay? And this is, again, where Christians get tripped up all too often. We get tripped up because we're so used to the, the softer approach. I, I, want, I want to do the softer approach. I want to be kind and gentle and all that. But we need to call out what it is. Peter didn't just say, hey, let's, let's have a therapy session. Come on, let, let's, let's hug. He didn't call it a mistake, did he? He didn't call it an accident. He called it, this is wickedness. Therefore, letter B, calling for repentance. Okay, letter A, confronting personal sin. Letter B, calling for repentance. Therefore, repent of this wickedness. Turn from your sin, Simon. Woody Swenson, turn from your sin and turn to God. This is not something that's just reserved for when you get saved. Oh, well, I already repented. No, you continue in faith and repentance in your walk. Because you have sinned today. I have sinned today. Anyone disagree with that? (laughs) You have sinned in one little way or a big way, whatever. You've sinned. I've sinned. So we, we kind of wonder what, so what, why do we even bother? Why even bother with meeting like this? It's to keep you walking in the right direction. Keep you walking in the right direction. Okay? Keep going. Get up, confess your sin, and keep walking with the Lord. You know what John tells us in 1 John chapter 1? You'll have joy in your life. Because why? You're continuing in fellowship with God. Right? So, now, here's an interesting one. Under number five, we have letter A, confronting personal sin. Letter B, calling for repentance. And then we read of the clever little 
statement. His clever cop-out, let's call it that. His clever cop-out. What did he say? Peter called him, saying, repent of this wickedness. And look at what Simon says. By the way, don't say what Simon says. I had to put that in, right? But Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me yourselves so that nothing of what you may have said come upon me. Now, initially, that can sound good because he's starting with what? Hey, pray for me. But what is he saying? He wants to dodge the judgment. He wants to dodge the consequences of sin. (laughs) He's dodging it. You do that too? I'm I'm confessing it. I I can do it also. And yet, here's what's better. What's better is to repent of your sin. Don't make excuses. And we're we're all so good at that. You, You see your children growing up, and what do they learn to do? But dad, sister did it. Or, as Adam said, God, you did it. It's the woman you gave me. Right? So, there's no response. Here's why we know it was phony on Simon's part. There's no response of repentance. There's no response of repentance. And he's rather saying, I just want to get out of the, I I want to get out of that. And it was very spiritual sounding. Pray for me. Well, got to move along here. Um, On the back of your outline is the second example. Now Philip, um, who is along with, I believe, along with Peter and John, carrying on, verse 25, in faithful service, they went about testifying, spoken the word of God, preaching the gospel in many villages. But now, all of a sudden, Philip gets called now to go somewhere else. Just Philip. Initially, the first scenario was Philip went. It doesn't say anything that the Lord said to him to go. Philip went. Now, in verse 26, look at it. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. Uh, This is a desert road. And he arose and went. Okay? So he goes. So now here's this next Section, the second part of spirit-led gospel outreach and number six, directed, it's all directed, all directed by God's sovereignty. Okay? Philip goes, um, and many, I would say, I'm just going to say it, many American Christians would maybe call for a, a three-day weekend before they go. I, I want a break. Um, l- let, me, let me think about that first, Lord. No, he was willing and he went, okay? And along the way, you know, there he meets up. There's an Ethiopian eunuch. He's introduced and um, he's there and uh, he's not... When we think of chariots, we think of, you know, uh, Ben-Hur and the two-man chariot. Well, this had to have been an SUV kind of chariot, you know, Um, because it had other um, of his uh, crew with him there 
um, driving for him because he was standing there reading or sitting there reading a portion of the scripture. So it wasn't like he was, you know, holding on to the reins and reading. He couldn't hold what he had as the scriptures in one hand. It had to have been a scroll, right? (laughs) So meets up with this Ethiopian eunuch. Um, He's an official of the administration of the queen of Ethiopia. He's the chief financial officer, okay? He was in charge of the bucks, okay? So God sets this up. Philip goes, there he is. And along with this, the gospel outreach is, we need to remember, it's directed by God's sovereignty. It's not just, oh, I'm going to do it on my own. No, it's directed by God's sovereignty, orchestrated by God's sovereignty. And number seven, the design is for saving the lost. Simple. We, we get that, right? The gospel ministry is designed for saving the lost or to bring forth saving faith. I can't do that. You can't do that. But God is the one that does that. And so we look at verse 30. Look at chapter 8, verse 30. And when Philip had run up, he heard the Ethiopian eunuch reading Isaiah the prophet. That's another step or show of God's sovereignty. (laughs) Here's like the, the home run pitch that Philip can hit. Why? Isaiah is the gospel in the Old Testament. And especially chapter 53. And so he hears him reading this and he's reading it out loud. Okay. And Philip says to him, do you understand what you are reading? Verse 30. And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture, which he was reading, was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before his shears is silent so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Or of himself? Of himself or of someone else? And Philip opened his mouth. And beginning from this scripture... He preached Jesus to him. Hey, what did Jesus do with the guys on the road to Emmaus? He opened his mouth and began to teach the scriptures from where? From the Old Testament. Showing that here's the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. And Jesus did that. And here's Philip doing a very similar thing. Preaching Jesus to him. So... It goes from God's sovereignty, point number six, to number seven, the the design for saving faith or saving the lost. And here are four key ingredients about this to activate this. It comes, number one, letter A, by the Spirit's work, the necessity of the Spirit's work. The Spirit tells Philip, go up and join this chariot. Here's the, the Holy Spirit working before Philip even shows up. The guy has the scriptures there. He's reading Isaiah 53. Here comes Philip. And the Spirit has already been working, drawing this guy, leading, convicting him, bringing about regeneration, and providing for this very moment. 
And so Philip did so. He ran up, heard him reading the Isaiah the prophet. So letter B is what we have next. The, the presence or the, the witness of the word of God. He's got the witness of the word of God right there. And Isaiah 53 in particular points out mankind's hatred toward the Messiah along with God's judgment upon the Messiah. What? Yeah, that's why Isaiah 53 stands out like it does. And Christian, we ought to have that more and more familiar in our minds because of here's um, here's opportunity at communion time to remember it wasn't the... You know, we, we've talked about this uh, in the past. It wasn't the Jews that killed Jesus. It wasn't the Romans that killed Jesus, right? Who killed Jesus? Say it. God. God did it. Yes, the Jews were there. The Romans were there. God brought it about for you and you, and you, to be redeemed and reconciled to God. You need to understand that. That's what it was, and and obviously for God's glory. So, we have the necessity of the Spirit's work. Letter B, the witness of the Word of God. Letter C, the witness of the messenger. Philip said something. He came forth and pointed Jesus out from the Scriptures. Okay? Philip opened his mouth. And preach Jesus to him. And then letter D. (laughs) Letter D. The energizing of faith. At what point was the Ethiopian eunuch saved? Once he got baptized? I don't think so. We're going to see that in just a moment. The Ethiopian eunuch doesn't specifically say he got saved. It demonstrates it. In subtle ways. And we see the energizing of faith with these three steps. Step number one, submission to the Lord. There's submission to the Lord in this. Embracing the gospel. Have you embraced the gospel? Not just put it on your your favorite shirt like a patch, but have you embraced the gospel? Have you received Christ as Lord? It's where the person truly admits to their sin and their guilt to God. I believe that he might have already been regenerated by the Spirit of God. Because that's a work that no one necessarily sees right away. But the work starts there by the Holy Spirit. Bringing about the conversion point. And now comes the, re- the, the response to that conversion And we're going to see that as we walk along with these steps. So step number one has to be submission to the Lord because he's Lord. He's not just a friend. He's Lord. Confess him with your mouth as Lord. Believe in him in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead. Okay. Second step is identification. It's identification. And this is expressing the gospel. Verse 36, they say, hey, look. (laughs) They came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? Well, 
I'm figuring, we, we can't tell specifically, but this had to have been Peter, uh, Peter, Philip had already made mention of this. But here's the point. It's identification with Christ. My friend, if you're saying you're a believer, have you been identified with Christ? And the, the main way is, here it is, through water baptism, believer's baptism. You need to be identified in that way. Okay? And But yet that's not what saves the Ethiopian. That's not what saves you and me. It's an expression of what's already taken place in our lives. And it's picturing what? It pictures death, burial, resurrection there in the water. That's what's it's, it's picturing that, and you and I are identifying with that. The idea of baptism in the in the old in the in the olden days was just dunk uh, some cloth or fabric into a dye, and that's the idea behind immersion. Just dunk it all and get the cloth soaked in there, and what happens? It turns from white to purple or whatever color. You put the dye, and now you put it up, you dry it, and guess what? That color identifies with that dye. There's identification. Have you been identified with Jesus? It's important. He calls us to that. Third step is application. The application of this faith is... It it results in rejoicing, exulting in the gospel exulting in the gospel. He went on his way rejoicing. Here's the result of salvation, and here's the result of walking with the Lord. There's joy in that. And there's joy in serving Jesus. I want you to weigh this out. I want you individually to weigh this out. Where's the joy in your life? They went out rejoicing in what had happened. And all to, again, I'll just say it. All of us, myself included, all of us, we can get the sour puss face on way too often. Why? Because my heart is not right. Your heart is not right. And thus we get into complain mode, murmuring mode, all sorts of things come because our hearts are not right. We're not walking in fellowship with the Lord. And you and I are called to that. That's what 1 John chapter 1 tells us. There's joy in fellowship with the Lord. Okay? There's joy in walking along life's way. Yeah, there's pain. Yeah, there's sorrow. I know. You know. We know. There's pain in it. But there's joy in serving Jesus. Let me wrap it up with this, these points. Um, in the conclusion... The example of faithful Philip. The example of faithful Philip. He was not an apostle. He was a a deacon. He had been a lay person. Now he's a deacon. And you know what? He got up and he went to Samaria. He went. And he was ready. And that's the second little application point. Um, He was a model of readiness. A model of readiness. I didn't wake up today thinking about 
Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. I wrote it in my notes. But you know what Ephesians 6, 15 tells us? Shod, S-H-O-D. I don't think we use that verb much at all. Shod what? Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. Guess what Philip did when he went to Samaria? He had his feet ready. And I'd like to think that he was the first one that wore Nikes in this civilization because he was walking in victory. That's the idea behind the term Nike. It's a Greek word, victory. Victory in Jesus, right? And he was ready, listen, he was ready to rely on the Spirit's filling and the Spirit's leading. He was ready to rely on God's message, not his experiences. He was ready to rely on God's work as he prayed and trusted God for the results. And that's what we need to think in regards to outreach. Sharing the gospel with others. Let the, leave the results in God's hands, right? I'm not going to argue till I'm blue in the face with you that you need to come to Christ. That's up to God. Salvation is of the Lord in the book of Jonah. It's God's work. Are you and I like faithful Phillips? And... Just one other small point, and then we'll pray. Where did Philip go? He went to Samaria first, and then he went to talk to who? Ethiopian eunuch. Philip crossed a line of bitter hatred with the Samaritans. He was unaffected by their ancestry. A lot of Jews held it against the Samaritans. Philip, he he crossed over and shared the gospel with the Samaritans, the bad guys. Then he crossed over and went, crossed over the race line and shared with the Ethiopian eunuch. He didn't, he didn't run up and see the, see the, you know, the chariot and see, oh, he's a guy of different skin color. So we, we need to follow with this great, great example. Okay? Unaffected by another person's background, ancestry, or skin color. And why do, we, why do we have to bring that up? Well, it's God's idea, isn't it? It's not just me trying to say, hey, we need to, you know, cross over these lines. No, it's God's idea. I think it's amazing and wonderful, wonderfully amazing that God, here's the first big story of church persecution. And where do they go? They didn't go to the Jews in uh, in Turkey. They didn't go to the Jews in in Greece. No, they they went to their, their neighbors, hated neighbors, the Samaritans. What about you? How will we respond? God, help us to be a people that are in love with Jesus Christ and, and know the gospel message and, and go share it. 
we're simply announcers. We're announcing good news. Okay? And what Bill mentioned at prayer time this morning, that's we've got neighbors around us. I've got neighbors around where we live. We've got people that we work with. And wouldn't we love it to see more new converts come and be hungry for the Word of God? Or are we just comfortable the way things are? Hey, hey you know, we know each other. We're, we're good with that. We're fine. What do you think? More importantly, what does God think? Let's pray. Lord, we humble ourselves before you to say, uh, please help us in this very important area of life. Forgive us, Lord, for uh, pushing it off and thinking that somebody else will share the good news. And then, Lord, we admit uh, there's many times in our hearts and lives where we're we're just complaining and, and filled up with, with gripes. And uh, help us, Lord, to be a people that are walking in joy. The joy of knowing You and the joy of serving You. Lord, be glorified in these things um, so that we would be a faithful people like a faithful Philip. And it's all because of a faithful Jesus. We praise You, Lord. We need Your help and Your grace to carry on. Help us in doing that, to carry on in ministry. In Jesus' name, Amen. This morning... um, We will have somebody up front here.